Yo, what is going on, everybody? It's your boy, Marshall, live, and I am live, and we are back with another episode of the Marshall Gillen Show. As a matter of fact, this is the very first episode of 2023, and I have zero doubt that this is about to be one of the most impactful interviews that I've shared in a very, very long time. So do me a favor, Gillen gang, if you are watching this on replay, just do me a favor and hashtag replay below so I know who my team replay peeps are. If you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, do me a favor and hit subscribe. If you like us, leave us a review. If you hate us, leave me a review and let me know that too. And if you're following us over on YouTube, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into this show. For those of you who have never watched this show, you have no idea what we're about. I am on a mission to save a billion lives and save a billion lives with the power of vulnerability and storytelling. And this is my job is to help get you in touch and connected to people who have turned their mess into their message and are now using that message to inspire people to create a movement and to go out there and impact and change the world. And today I have a very, very special guest. I have a very special friend. If you don't know, you are about to meet one of the coolest, most impactful dudes that I have ever met. He is a world-class father, a world-class husband. He owns Resinous Flooring Coating. He is the host of the Resilient Man Podcast. He is the founder of the Resilient Man Challenge, Christ follower, and my brother, Jonathan York. We're going to bring him on right now. Facebook, do your thing. Get my guy on here, and let's share some good magic, and let's go out here and inspire some people today. Hey, look at that. Facebook and technology is doing its thing. Jonathan is hopping on right now. Give me a favor. Give me a like. Give me a love if you are watching this. Yo, Jonathan, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? How are you? Dude, I am doing most excellent. Dude, you got some new gear. You got new gear fitted. Is that a new shirt? Yeah, man. My wife just hooked it up for me this morning. Dude, bro. I, I love that. I I, uh, I I have like my, my little stuff I make at Sobriety Rocks and stuff, but I got to get something for my own brand, man, because dang, dude, like... I'm on here. All my guests keep coming on. They're all branded out in their stuff. And, and uh, I think I've gone falling behind here. So, hey, do me a favor, as always. Tell the people where you're joining us from. I'm from all the way down here, right on the Georgia-Alabama line, and right outside of Atlanta in Georgia. Heck yeah, dude. I, heck, can, can you hear me okay? Are we good? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm good. okay perfect. I just want to make sure the audio is all good and that uh, we're all tuned in. Hey, so tell me, are you a Georgia Bulldog fan? Yeah, I am. I am. It used to be pretty hardcore. These days, you know, it's it's you know kind of take it or leave. Yeah. It, but I, I am. Yeah. I was at a New Year's Eve party. Uh, well, I was just the other day at the time of shooting this. It's uh, January second, but uh, the game, the the college football games were on the other day, and I, I'm not necessarily a college football fan, but um, I am a football fan. And I was watching that game, man. And I'm from Illinois, so I'm always rooting for the Big Ten. And I'm just telling you, it's like every single time the Big Ten plays the SEC like they get crushed so i was over here like yeah dude let's go ohio state and then you know one of the great college football games georgia comes back to win so kudos to you guys congratulations i'm sure people in the south are very excited but it's interesting because as you're here today something about that game that made me think of you directly it's not just that you live in georgia but the resilience of those young men to be able to literally push through i mean they were down 14 16 something like that the resilience to not buckle down, to not give in, but to continue to push through. And that's literally what your brand is all about. And so it's a true honor to have you here today, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. 
appreciate that. I, I, I agree hundred percent. I believe Kirby's first words uh, in the post game interview was, was, he was like, what do you, how do you feel about this game? This, this team. And his first words was resiliency. That was the first thing he said. No kidding. Cool. I, yeah. did not, I didn't, I didn't see that. Kirby Smart's a great coach, but let me, mm -hmm. let me expand on that a little bit, especially for some of the listeners and the viewers that are going to be with us today. We got a lot we're going to get into. I want to share some of your story. I want to talk about some of the successes you've had. I want to talk about some of the pitfalls and, the, and the, the tragedies that you've been through. But before we do, just that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. You know, things like vulnerability, resilience. It's, a, it's kind of a trendy word, especially in, in the personal development space and the men's workspace today. But just, you know, briefly, Jonathan, what does resilient mean to you? I believe everyone's born with a certain level of resiliency. I also believe that resiliency is, is a skill um, and it's also kind of a diminishing skill. Uh, I believe that that through life's experience, you can kind of build build up and build on that resiliency muscle. Uh, it's kind of I, I like to say it's the reservoir of strength that you pull from in times of adversity. Ooh, I like say that again. That was good. Yeah, it's the reservoir of strength that you pull from in times of adversity. Okay, so I don't know if anybody's clipping that or wants to write that down, but do me a favor and put that in the comments because that is absolute gold. Man, I never heard it put like that. But essentially, you're right. That's absolutely what it is. For anybody that knows my story knows that that's pretty much what I've had to do to get myself here. It's what you've had to do to get yourself here. And I want to dive into a little bit about that today because that that knowing you how I know you now and the statement that you just made kind of sums up every single thing that really you are about. And it all makes perfect sense to me. And so tell me a little bit, Jonathan, how did the Resilient Man Project come about and what is the Resilient Man Project? Well, it came about, uh, it's been kind of a, a work, a brain, you know, in, in my, in my brain or in my heart for, for a while now. Um, it's, it's really about kind of being first to share my story and in and, and hopes that other men would share theirs and, and looking around the world today and, and everything that's going on. Um, it, it's just, I, I kind of didn't know what else to do and I wanted to do something. Um, so podcast is just kind of where it started but it, it's really about building a community of like-minded people it's about um you know just helping men through their struggles about sharing my story what i went through the things that that you know got me through um hopefully the next man that's either maybe in the middle of it or it's coming down the road for him uh you know it's 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 just sharing man sharing and building a community of, and, and trying to help people I, grow. I love that i mean i know how important it is to create and hold space for people to have the permission to a lot of times just feel things that they don't even realize that they want to feel or they don't know how to feel and especially men i can't tell you how many men i talk to every day you know that seemingly they, they feel the same way i do but they've never even articulated those feelings they don't even know how to get in touch with those feelings as a matter of fact at the time of shooting this podcast i just had my first video, first ever video hit one million views over on TikTok. And it was a video about, you know, me being more vulnerable about, you know, attempted suicide and losing a, a, one of my best friends to attempted suicide. So I just want to say to all the viewers and listeners, first and foremost, if you don't have a box of tissues by you, you should go grab one before we get into Jonathan's story. If you're a dude who is a guy that doesn't want nobody to see you crying, you better go to a different room for a little bit, okay? Because we're about to get into some heavy stuff here. And before we get into that, though, I just want to ask you one last question before I ask you a little bit about your story and how you've come so far. But in your experience, Jonathan, why is it that you think so many men today are so out of touch with their feelings? Or why are, why, maybe a better way to ask that question, Jonathan, is why is it that so many men are suffering in silence? They know they're suffering in silence. And why do you think that they still don't take off the mask or go and find other brothers to get help? Like, why do we continue to suffer in silence as men? 
Man, there's so much power and vulnerability. Um, I mean, I, I, I truly believe it's, it's they're waiting on someone to go first. I, I truly believe that they mm. want to share. And then if you share, you kind of give them permission to share. And that's kind of the backbone of resilient, you know, the resilient man project is, you know, I told my story. I, I, I kind of put everything out there in hopes that the next man would come forward and they have, and, and, you know, start a ripple effect and, and see, you know, see where it goes, man. It's impact the world. Make Dude, a real I, I love that. I like, I like the next man step forward. Like I never think about like that. That's exactly what's up. And as it related to football or sports for people who are watching, it's like when, it, when the, when the dude gets hurt, you never really hear the teams complaining like, oh, we lost this guy. We lost that guy. It's next man up. And I love mm -hmm. when you apply that to storytelling. Like, hey, let me go first and then next man up. And so getting into that, I would agree. I think that, you know, for a lot of the viewers and listeners watching too, it's like we didn't have any context growing up of what it looked like for a man to, to be vulnerable and open. And there's a lot of things we can say about that. But the reality is most likely that in the generations before us, it wasn't a time for men to be vulnerable and open. Like it was a time of, you had to be straight. You had to push through. You had to have discipline. It had to be strength. But the reality is, is that that's not necessarily true anymore. And now men are killing themselves in an alarming rate because they are not sure how to share these feelings. They're not sure how to undo them. And you think, what's the purpose? And then we end up doing something terrible that impacts a lot of people, right? And so let's yeah. get into a little bit about you, man. Like, tell me a little bit about your story. I just realized, and this is something I've never even asked you before, right? As I'm typing up your bio, I'm like, Wait, you're you're a you're like an ex-con basically. I mean, is that true? Like, I feel bad. Like, I'm not trying to label you because like you're such a good guy. But is that like are you, are you a felon technically? I am a felon. 100%. So, tell me a little bit about the story. So, how does Jonathan York, world-class husband and father, community leader, follower of Christ, how does the story begin of, of you as an ex-con, or how what is the story of you becoming a felon? Like, what is the, what's behind this? Yeah, I mean, so it kind of has to start, you know, early on, uh, just raised and, and grew up in an environment of drugs and alcohol and addiction, every pretty much every direction I looked, whether it be family or friends or, or the, the streets that I grew up on, I just kind of a way of life drug dealers are who we idolized and, and I don't know, it's just you, you don't even really think anything's wrong with it, it to, to a point, right. And then once I turned 20, and had my first child, my second child, and, uh, and got married, man, the addiction piece just really roared its head out of me. Um, 10 years, pathological liar, double life, just horrible foreclosure, uh, repossession, just, just not a very good person. Um, to the point to where my wife finally divorced me around 30. And, uh, and I really hit the streets hard for a couple of years, um, selling drugs, doing drugs, made some really stupid decisions and, and landed myself in prison for 32 months. Wow. Well, let's back up for a second. First off, I appreciate you being vulnerable and open with us on this podcast. I know how you feel about it. We've just kind of highlighted the, the importance of it. But you said just that little bit right there, right? We um, because there's a lot to unpack. So let me back up first to when you're 20 years old okay. and you really start you start you start falling into drugs. Okay, for me, I grew up a lot around people drinking and repressing their emotions, and so I can I can kind of relate like to what you mean. It's like you see everything going on. And it's maybe not necessarily bad or good, but it's just, it's kind of like the world that you live in. So tell me a little bit about what you're feeling around the age of 20. Like what was, the, what were you feeling and what made you actually kind of finally turn into that, turn into like, was that the pressure? Was it doubt? Was it fear? Like, why did you start using? Like, how does that begin? Yeah. I mean, I started really drinking and smoking weed at the age of like 10 or 12. Wow. I mean, that was just like the way of life. 
but but in my twenties, I, I was definitely ill prepared to be a, a husband or a father. Had uh, I no idea what that even really was supposed to look like. And I imagine the pressure of, of everything, the bills and, and the and you know, and, and my answer was instead of you know handle my business like a man was just kind of numb myself and kind of run from it. Um, so I, I, that's what I did. Um, you know, it, like so many others, I probably felt alone. You know, and uh, I felt alone pretty much my whole life until recently. And uh, that's that's something a lot of us may struggle with. I think. Hey, man, I know that's true. So uh, tell me, how does a 10-year-old start drinking and using weed? I mean, like, were the parents not in the picture? Like, what was going no, on with that? They definitely were. But my best friend had an older brother. Um, so the drinking thing, I think, was like, oh, it's funny. Let's watch them drink a 40. You know, when they're like, I'm, I drink like Mickey's like malt liquor when I was like 40 years old. So, I mean, no no wimp stuff here. And uh and smoking and dipping and just all those things. That's what they did. We wanted to be like them. So we probably snuck some and this and that. And, and I definitely, you know, there was definitely probably finding, you know, some parent stash and, and plucking a little bit there. And, and you know, um, there was just drugs everywhere. And it was just the way of life. And it's just, it was just what everybody did. And uh, at that point in, in life, I thought it was normal. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Now, so when you're little, then now we're moving up. You're starting to feel these pressures. You're married. You have two kids. Now, when does everything really start to fall apart? I mean, like you're in your early twenties, and like, where does where does this come? Was the you're saying you're living double lives? Now, I'll just mm -hmm. say to the audience real quick. Most of the people, most of you know me, but I can really, really relate to this because in my early twenties, there's no double life. There was only one life, and it was just this one of partying of constantness. But around twenty seven, I lost my best friend to suicide. And I realized I had to make a change, except I didn't really change any of my habits. So I launch a business. I become this professional speaker. And literally, I'm traveling the world talking to people about how to change your life in business. That's one stage of me, the guy on stage that looks all good, that does all of the right things, says all the right things. But behind the scenes, I'm like lost in cocaine addiction. Like it's, it's a constant. I'm partying. I'm drinking. I'm doing everything I can do to avoid all of the trauma and pain from my past. I didn't know that at the time, but I was just like, I couldn't sit with myself. And so here I am, I'm using, using, using. I'm out here preaching, preaching, preaching. And there was such a misalignment in this double life that I was living that finally in 2019, like it literally all came crashing down. Yeah. Now, you know, I tell people, I've done a lot of things in my life that I definitely should have gone to prison for. Like, definitely. I just never got caught. So tell me, tell share with us, if you would, a little bit like, what is the double life that you're living, you know, between 20 and 30? What are the moments when it starts to crack and then when does it all fall apart? Yeah. So I definitely, you know, had this addictive personality, this addictive piece in me. Uh, and when I was 19 or so, bought my first house and just so happened that there was a guy on the street that I bought the house on that sold meth. And once I was introduced to meth, kind of combined with all these addictive pieces that I already had in me, just kind of spiral out of control. And then I would go to work and, and all these things and, and kind of halfway take care of the bills. But I'd get off work early and I'd go back to the streets I grew up on or back to my boys that I grew up with. And I would just hang out there and supposed to be at work. And, you know, just it was just a constant barrage of, you know, halfway doing what I'm supposed to do. But every chance I got running back to, to the life that I, that I knew, the life that I was comfortable with, probably the, you know, the family-ish feeling that I got from, from, the, from the people I grew up with. Yeah, 100%. So the double life is, I'm assuming that your wife at the time, oh, yeah. like this is not something she's part of, like she doesn't know anything about this? Not 
really. I mean, she knows. I mean, she knew, definitely knew I smoked weed and stuff like that. Um, but I definitely hid the hardcore drugs from her, you know, for quite a while and to the point to where, like I said, we lost our house. And, and she knew that these things were happening and kind of cleaned my act up for a second and, and, and get her to buy back in and then screw it up and, you know, over and over repetition, over and over for uh, almost 11 years. So what is that like then with that moment when you have to go tell your your then wife like that you lost the house? I mean, what's that? What what what, what is the story you're telling? You're living a double life. Are you just straight up honest at that point? Or are you just like, how does that go? I don't think hmm, I'm, I honestly haven't thought about it. Um, I'm not sure if like a letter came. I think like maybe a letter came and it was kind of out of my control. And I think I hit it as long as I could. Wow. Uh, but there was definitely a moment where we lost the house, had to move back in with my parents and, and had a newborn and and she's pregnant with our second child. And then we moved back into an environment of, of kind of partying and stuff again. Um, it wasn't really a good place to, to have a newborn. So we were able to get an apartment, and, and but again, never able to leave the drugs alone. I mean, I was, I, I, my first real job was like a kitchen, was I worked in the kitchen at Applebee's. Within two years, I'd worked my way up to, I always had this really good work ethic. Um, within two years, I worked my up to like the manager that trained the other managers. So I was the busiest kitchen in the, in the whole state, um, like really making a name for myself and got fired for snorting meth in the bathroom. <laughs> Yes, that's, wow. that's, yeah, it's just kind of a, this consistently the story of my life over and over and over again until so, prison. How are you showing up as a father in, the, in that point? Uh, I'm, me looking back on it, I don't see how I was showing up any other way than, than just a horrible role model. My kids, you know, they're older now. They give me a lot of more credit than I think I deserve. Um, you know, I think I still did a decent job of kind of demanding and in the respect and teaching them. I don't know, even though I wasn't living it, maybe I was still kind of teaching it. Um, they don't view the, that time quite like I do, I don't think. But they also, you know, don't know the, the depths of the, the horrible things that I was doing yeah. you know, while they're at home. So, it, it, but, but we have a great relationship well, now. Well, yeah, and I want to get into that in a second, you know, and I, I don't want to, I want to ask you specifically about the impact that you going to prison had on your kids. But before I do, just can, if you don't mind, like, what, how did it go down? Like, what happens? Like, how do you actually end up going to, how do you actually end up in prison? What's, what's the thing that happened? Yeah, so we're running the streets wide open. I think I'd been up for at least a week. I used to say it doesn't get fun till you've been up for five days. That was kind of like my role model, like the thing that I said. Uh, but I've been up for like a week to 10 days, something like that, uh, running around with this girl way too young the stripper that was you know like i'm 30 she's probably 10 years younger than me she has this bright idea that that uh this guy proposed to her there's a ring at his place let's go get it and long story short yeah please come and it's over with it was a setup no it wasn't a setup it, she she didn't know i i, I don't because she got arrested too and, and there's i don't think it was a setup it was just you know horrible Decision. Wrong place, wrong time. Both of us out. Of, both of us out of our mind. Like probably don't even like. You know, they're probably cameras. Who knows how we got caught? But it's just out of our mind, and that's how you get, man. You get to where, you know, you're not living in the reality that that everyone else is. You know, when you've been up for that long and you've been running like I had. Damn, that's wild. It's um, you know, when I was at the when I was really doing a lot of a lot of cocaine. Back in the day in San Diego, I was, I would, my dealer lived at San Diego State University. And I mean, I was going to see him two, three times a day. And I'll never forget, 
the day that it really kind of hit me, I had, I had been up for like a day or two and we just made a run at about 3.30 in the morning to, to Thomas's to get more. And literally 30 minutes later, the largest, one of the largest drug raids in all of California happened. They raided Thomas's house. And so I'm like, I think back to that now and I'm like, bro, I am definitely on camera somewhere from the FBI, like buying drugs. Like I, like, thank God. And so it's interesting when you hear these stories because I, I've been there. I know that life and how it feels, dude, but to actually go do that. So what now happens as a father, like, like ex-wife aside, like as a father, what's going through your mind? Do you, do you end up having to tell your kids you're going to prison? Do they come see you? Like what happens with that? Yeah, no. Um, I imagine my wife had to, t my ex-wife had to tell them. Uh, I did not. I mean, I got a couple of letters and stuff, um, but you know, she was protecting them, I think. Didn't know how I was going to turn out at that point. You know what I mean? So um, I'm sure there was some protecting going on on her end. Um, they, they said they wrote me a few letters, never came and saw me, which, which I'm, you know, thankful for. Right. Maybe. I, I don't know how I feel about it. But I, and then fast forward to when I did get out, though, and, like, my son's moving in, in with me within a couple of years. So, like, the bond was never broken. And I had made such significant changes inside that I came out a different man. I think everybody kind of felt it. That's amazing. What's it? I mean, I, I've never been to prison. So what are you, what's going through your mind for those 32 months? Did you know you were going to get out? Yeah, I'm assuming your sentence was probably longer than you actually served or no? Yeah, it was. It was uh, 15 to 5, I think. And I ended wow. up doing 32 on 5. Um, wow. Yeah, um, there's a couple, you know, I didn't do any really hard time. I did a month. Um, at diagnostics, which is like basically a maximum security prison where you're kind of lumped in with everybody else. And I'll never forget that I was uh, playing cards with these guys and kind of hanging out with them all day because they're you just anybody that, especially, you know, anybody that kind of takes to you, you just, you just hang out with them. And, and during that card game, I, I find out that the guy to my right was in for double murder and the guy to my left was in for rape. And that night I watched this other poor kid who happened to look at somebody wrong get just demolished and I looked around and I was just like I mean I know one thing I don't know much but I know one thing that this is not the place where I want to be this is you know and I kind of made that decision early on um, even even in jail waiting to be sentenced that that this was not a life for me and and as I woke up in jail out of my probably two week uh sleep you know because I've been up for so long I kind of instantly, even in jail, became a man of integrity, was kind of just known for keeping my word and, and things like that. And I carried that all the way through, you know, in, in real prison, I was the guy holding the money for the poker game. I was the guy, you know, I just, I kind of carried that, that integrity piece with me from, from literally the time that I woke up and, and to this day, you know, I've tried my very best to Damn. carry myself. And I think it comes from 30 years of the other guy. Like, so now like integrity is super important to me. Authenticity is super important to me. That's that's crazy, dude. So it's like, what, 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 like, what, what's going through your mind then when you're in that spot? I mean, how do you, how do you survive something like that? I mean, you watch some kid get his ass beat. Like, how do you? And you, you know, you always hear like in the, the silly movies and stuff. Oh, you know, punch somebody in the face the first day you're in there or whatever. Like, establish yourself. I mean, what are you doing? Are you really kind of just keeping your head down, trying not to be noticed, or how do you then get to a point where you know that nobody's going to mess with you? I mean, just the way that you carry yourself, I think, is is a big part of it. And not that you carry yourself in a way where, like, you're walking around with your chest poked out. 
but you just carry yourself in a way like of, of, with integrity and, and people, I mean, in, they'll respect you, you know, because you're a man of your word and they can tell when someone's real and when someone's, you know, putting on a front or whatever. Um, so I think I just did a really good job. I, you know, my demeanor and, and the way I'm wired, you know, was a, a decent fit. I mean, nobody wants to go to prison, but I was kind of built you know, in a way that I was able to, you know, handle my, myself and, and, and keep to myself and, and kind of demand that quiet respect you know what I mean I, I yeah. just I just had this thing about me so uh I never had any trouble you know never had any that's trouble. wild man and it's and, and so you know we'll get to it here in a little bit about you know what kind of qualifies you to lead other men or at least to provide a space for men to be able to step into to become resilient to find that integrity to find the power because I imagine that God's probably at the time equipping you for a mission that you don't even know anything about yet but what better place to be able to get real life context and to look into what are men struggling with? How are men acting when they've, when they've ruined everything, when they've lost everything. And so the unique perspective that you're able to bring to the world now as Jonathan York and everything you've overcome, it's like, dude, when I hear this story, I'm like, Oh, this is why you're doing what you're doing now with the resilient man project. Like that makes total sense. And so before we get into that though, let's, let's continue through this, this story. So you get released from prison. Tell me just a little, a little bit about like what was it like like what what was going through your mind or do you remember how you felt like the day that you walked out like what what was that all about yeah so i was fortunate enough to do the last six months um at a transitional center to where i was able to get a job and kind of go to work every day uh my aunt and uncle picked me up every sunday and took me to church and helped me build on this foundation of faith that i had started uh building on you know back when i first was arrested between going to church services and, and reading and things like that. I just, I really kind of, faith was a big piece of, of me getting through those three years and then uh, them picking me up every day. And by the time I got out, I was like openly praising in church. Like I, I was, I was, you know, faith was super important to me. Um, so I get a job at this transition, making like $8 an hour, um, work my way to the point to where when I'm released, pretty much right when I'm released, I get shifted into a sales position and, uh, and just kind of blossomed and took off from there. Um, definitely dealt with some other tragedies and stuff coming down the road, but but I was able to really really focus on on building a career at that point. That's that's amazing. And I want I, I, there's something I don't want to skip over because I know how important it is to me. And you know, knowing you now as a brother, I know how important it is to you as well. But what is the moment then when you when when you like? It's not lip service. It's the faith. Like, was there a moment that you remember, or how how did that become? Like, where did that get cemented? you know, where, where faith becomes the biggest thing. Did you, was there something that you felt? Was there a moment that you remember when it, when you were able to kind of make that transition and fully envelop that, you know, what that is, or what did that look like and feel like for you? Yeah, I, I got the little jailhouse radio, you know, thing, the headphone, not even a cassette player, it's like a $2 radio, but um, I found, you know, Christian, contemporary Christian music early on, and it just spoke to me. I'll never forget. I was walking the little track in the top of the day room and, and uh, sat down on these benches by the payphone and looked up and the sun kind of shined through the little bitty window. And it, I don't know, the hurt, the hurt and the healer. I don't know if you know, so there's a song called the hurt and the healer comes on and it's kind of playing. And, uh, and I felt his presence even in that place, even that early on. Um, and, and really to that point had not had any relationship with Christ, you know, at all. So, and it's so it blossoms kind of, from there. Yeah, it blossoms from and, there. Yeah, started going just, to little. Started going he, just to keeps, he just continues to reveal himself. I'm sure, like little by little. So now yeah. you're you get out. You're out of the transition. You're working a sales job for eight dollars. You're working a job for eight dollars now, where you fully get out. 
you transition into sales. And so tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about yourself. Like, is it, is the sales process or is that job or did you learn some kind of skills or what did you learn about yourself that you, that you started to build on? You know, I just always had a mind for business and, and I always just had a way about me that every job I ever had, I progressed rapidly through and, and it, sales just came natural to me. I had never had any sales experience before, um, but I was good at building relationships and I think that's the key to sales. So, I got the sales position, broke every sales record in the company, outsold the owner, you know, first person to ever outsell the owner, really just kind of took off and blossomed in my professional career at that point. But there's a little bit to that too. And, and it's that, all right, let's, we're going to have to kind of get into the tragedy a little bit to explain because right when I got out within a month or so, my mom overdoses and she's in ICU for about a week. Now imagine a severe stroke victim, mouth hanging open, rouse rolling back in their head for, for a week to the point to where like there's whispers of like decisions are going to have to be made or whatever, but she pulls through. Um, but then like six months after that, my sister dies in an overdose in some hotel room alone in Atlanta. And uh, there's some, there's some guilt there because the sister called earlier kind of asking to come back. And I actually kind of helped set or got my mom to stand strong and, and and just she had just gotten over the stuff herself and I just you know it wasn't a good idea in my mind so there were some things there but then kind of fast forward three or four months after that and I'm checking on my mom on my lunch break and I actually find her uh, suicide by overdose on my lunch break um all that stuff happened within about a year or so of me getting out and and but what I did was I I think to not really deal with it maybe I hyper focused on my career and and that's probably why i was as successful as i was because i just poured myself into that wow dude i didn't realize i mean we've been we've been knowing each other now for a while i never realized that part of the portion of your story that that's how it went now i understand why you're, you're so you feel so relatable to what i was telling you my story the other day because i mean holy smokes I, again dude i know i said it already but i appreciate you being open and vulnerable i know how tough it is to bring some of these things to light sometimes and i think that there's a lot of men women too for sure but a lot of men who are going to watch and or listen to this show and they can relate because I know for me, I never addressed any of my trauma. You know, even when I was having success, you know, later in my life, making money, you know, teaching and training other speakers, sharing my story. I never, I poured all of my stuff to, into my business. And I got to a point finally when I was making so much money and doing so good, but I had never healed any of the other misalignments in me that it all came crashing down. And it's like so many of us men are, are trained by culture and society that our self-worth is based on our performance. And surely if I can perform well enough and I can make enough and I can go out and prove all those people wrong, then surely I'll be loved and I'll be accepted yep. and all these things. So what you're saying though, is that, this, that with all the tragedies that you've went through, then you get to this point, this pinnacle where you're making a bunch of money. Now, does it get to a point? Cause it eventually, you know, we come together, you want to tell your story and all these things. So uh, I know that you started your own business and we'll get into that in a second, but is there a point then where you kind of feel that too, where you realized you had been, avoiding and distracting yourself with building a business or making money? And then when does that all come crashing down? And when do you realize that there's got to be more to your life than just that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it ever really came crashing down on me. Um, I just never really felt fulfilled by any of it. Um, I've always felt I've had a bigger purpose um, and, and, you know, money and, and, accolades and, and whatever, all those things just never really meant that much to me at all. Um, so it's just that mental shift of really wanting to make an impact, really wanting to leave a legacy, really wanting to leave the world 
a better place, you know, after I'm gone. Um, so it hasn't really come crashing down. I will say that I'm 10 years or so into this work on myself and, and really kind of realizing that a lot of the inner work stuff is really kind of only beginning, you know, so, so there's a lot, there's still a lot to yeah, do for sure. There's so much power in that. Just the awareness and the ability to share it in the project that you're starting is, is awesome. I mean, that's why I, I think that we're so, I'm so drawn to you, right? It's because of the way that you live and the way that you're being. I mean, you, I know that you took the first, I took a sales position. You made a bunch of money. I know that you went on to a different sales position with a different company. You turned that thing around, completely took it to over seven figures. But then there comes a moment where you take a chance on yourself and you actually start another business. So before we get, you know, get to the next part, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was the decision you had when you went from employee to entrepreneur then eventually to employer yourself? Like, what was the mechanism or what was the, when was the moment that you're like, man, like, I need to start getting out to do something for myself. Yeah. I mean, you can even back up a, as far as the betting on yourself stuff, you can even back up a little bit from me leaving that first position that I had um, very secure job, six figures, definitely every year would have easily just continued along that company truck, all those things. Um, but I just felt I fell out of alignment a little bit with the, the, the way things were going and, and left there to go to a company with no sales, no equipment, no anything. Um, so I've always had this belief in myself, especially when it comes to my abilities at work. So me kind of transfer again to the second place and, and same thing. Um, you know, a lot of wandering into the bridge from, from those years of trying to survive. You know, I, I wouldn't really say it's anyone's fault. It's just, you do things and, and, you know, we were just literally trying to survive the day, survive the week, survive the month. But um, eventually that stuff builds up and, and it just became too much. And, and again, some things kind of going on, um, you know, and I was like, I called my wife and I said, babe, you know, I can't really do this anymore. And I think that I can, you know, make a real, a real change and a real impact if, if we go for this thing. So we did. Um, and I kind of put all my eggs in a basket of a big project and, and we won it. And, uh, and here we are. That's wild, man. So I do want to back up for a second because there is somebody that came into your life at the point from getting out of prison in between now. And so tell me a little bit about how you met your wife. And I know that you have uh, two uh, more kids that from this beautiful marriage now. And so tell me a little bit about how that was, how that started and, and what role has that played in, you know, solidifying who you've become and who are you, who you are becoming, but tell me how that gets started. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. There's yeah. There's one person for sure that that's helped. Well, there's several people, but there's one in particular that's helped. And here's a here's a good nice plug for eHarmony. So, uh, she was the first person that eHarmony matched me with. We're on the first page. Like they give you like I don't know, like I don't know, eight or ten matches or whatever. She was on the first page. She was the first person that I actually dated from from that site. Um, and here we are. But we uh. Yeah, so we go on this date and, and we're at we're at a Mexican restaurant. And I've been on a couple like I've been on some other sites and so some free ones and you know, probably ten or so dates and and I'll never forget we sat down for dinner at a Mexican restaurant and she cleaned her plate. And I was like, hmm. I knew right then. I was like because every other date was like nibble, 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 blah, blah, blah. And she was just, you know, so I always tell her I knew right then that she was the one for me. So yeah, eHarmony and, and that's how we met and uh and man, she has been and still, well, in the beginning, when every, everything was going, going on with my mom, she was compassionate, um, but I did relapse for a little while, about two months um, when all that happened. And, and although she was compassionate, she also didn't take my sh sh crap. 
and she pushed me and, and she saw in me the man that I could be probably before I did. Mm. That is good. Yeah. That's literally, that's, that's my fiance. That's literally like that. I didn't meet Ronnie Harmony, but that's my fiance. It's like, you start to kind of backslide, but when you really find that partner that God has designed you to be with, it's like, yeah, there's compassion and, but there's also a sense of accountability and ownership. And it's like, no, you know, I, I always joke around and I say the worst thing about Kirsty is that she believes everything I tell her. I'm like, if I tell her I'm a king, she's like, okay, you're a king. If I tell her I'm going to do this, she's like, okay, you're going to do that. And then when I don't live up to that as a man, she's the one that God has sent me to be like, I'm not the one that said that, Marshall. You said you said you were going to do that. And I know you're capable of doing it. So why are you not doing it? And then I look at myself like, damn, you know? And so I think that one of the greatest gifts, you know, as a man is when we can actually find that partner and attract it to us. And so now you get remarried to Mandy and you start to build more of your family. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, backing up to, so when I lost mom, believe it or not, uh, within that, that same week of me losing my mom, we find out that she's pregnant with our daughter, uh, and we weren't even really trying to, to have uh, any kids at that time. So as soon as I found out she was pregnant, I knew in my heart instantly it was a girl. She said it was a boy, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I just lost my mom. This is God replacing that presence in my life. And, uh, and she was a girl and, uh, she is a handful for sure. But, um, we've, yeah, so we've added, we've added one and then I've two amazing stepkids, bonus kids. I, I just, they're my kids. They call me dad, uh, that she had with a previous marriage. And then I have my older two. So we're a blended family of five now, uh, never a dull moment, uh, wide open all the time between her stuff, my stuff and the kids. But man, I would not trade it, trade it for anything in the world. What a blessing. And you just, you're so known to know. And so like the one thing I always want to tell people that are listening or watching is like, listen, brother, I don't know where you may be right now. I don't know what you're going through, but I promise you, and as crazy as it sounds, I promise you that there will come a moment in your life. If you do not give up, if you keep pushing forward, if you stay resilient, there'll come a moment in your life. And Jonathan, I haven't asked this, but I'm sure you would agree that you'll be able to look back on every single thing you've been through. Even the darkest moments when you knew for a fact that nothing would ever change, you would never be any better. You will look back and you'll go, wow, this all happened for a reason. And this all happened on purpose and for me. And it becomes that moment when like, even now, you know, I just turned 38 and I look at my life, you know, and I'm a father, stepfather of two, but they're my kids too. Right. And it's just like, it's like my life is so fulfilled and so full. And it doesn't mean it's always perfect or that everybody's always happy or anything like that. It just means like, damn, I would not change any of it for the world. And I feel like once you are able to establish that, and once that kind of comes into your life, it doesn't have to be that way, but once it does, that's when the magic really starts to happen. And so now here you are, all this is coming together. We just talked about your whole entire story and you bid on a project for yourself and you get it. Mm -hmm. So tell me what that project has represented to you, what you've done with that. And what has the last basically 18 months of your life been like? Yeah, so we got the project and, and we uh, we got up there and they kind of knew we were the little guy. So we got pressed on some things and, and we had to do a little more than, than we probably should have and then kind of got slow paid on the back end. So it didn't really turn out to be the blessing that I thought it would be, but it did give me the ability to step out and really go for it on my own. Now, since that, we have really turned it on. We've started in a residential division as well. So now things are coming together where we have the industrial sector and the residential sector and even some commercials. So now we have enough going in every arena to really kind of be a lot more sustainable. So we, we use that as, as something to, to as a catalyst to, to start it and to get everything going for sure. 
Um, but but we, it was a learning experience for sure, as any business, you know, first year. I go in business, a week later, Russian invasion came, inflation starts, like one thing after another, truck engine, truck transmission. It, there's been a lot this past year, made horrible decisions early on. Uh, but man, talk about growth and being stretched and, and really, uh, and again, like you just said, I look back on this past year and I, I know now, like, it's what it had to be, just like I look back on my life and understand now it's what it had to be. And I look back on my mom's life now, even is she was not a good person. She was not a good mom at all. Um, taught me a lot of the wrong things. And, but I view her life as almost beautiful because, you know, it, it took that to get me here. Like it just, I'm that stubborn. Like that's what it, like, I, it just took all of that to, to, to build this man that you see before you. Wow. That's wild, man. I appreciate you sharing all with us. And that story is so much power in it. So much inspiration in it, and, you know, the ability to draw the resilience from it. So now here you are with Resonus, you're making money, you have this beautiful family, but something still feels not fulfilled quite. There's like something still off a little bit. You kind of mentioned that a couple of times now. So when is the Resilient Man Project born? Like, where does that, where does that idea come in? And why did you finally decide to take action on it? Like, what, what was the, yeah. what was the, what finally pushed you to like, oh, okay, I'm just going to do it. To be honest, the, the the timing of it is me looking around at the world and, and, and just the, the lack of faith, the lack of compassion, the lack of vulnerability. Just I don't like the direction that, that the world's going. And I, I didn't know what else to do, so this is what I did. I started the podcast. I want to build a community of other people that have been through things, that are going through things, that need support. Um, you know, I want to share, I want to be vulnerable. I want to show that you can be vulnerable and still be strong. I want to show that your vulnerability is your strength. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really what I want to do, man. I want, at the end of the day though, like when, when I started this, it was, I'm going to share my story and I'm going to continuously point to Christ because Christ is the reason I'm here Amen. 100%. But over the last few months, I was, I think I kind of misunderstood his direction because, you know, he's out front and that's why I'm here, man. At the end of the day, I want to lead people to Christ. That's really what I want to do. Through my yeah, story, have, through my action. Yeah. You have a mission statement that you've told me before. We share that with the audience. I think it's so powerful. It's just it's to inspire to inspire others to take one more step and to lead lost people home. I love that when you say that, man. And the resilient, the T and the resilient is the cross for Christ. And you're really on a really big mission. And something I think is so important is one is as men, we are not as vulnerable and open as we should be. But two, it's like something that I've been drawn to talk way more about in my content and my message as well. Is like, yo, I believe in God and I know that God has a mission for me and that everything's happening. And something that I've decided to put in the forefront of my life uh, and, you know, you coming into my life and representing that to me as a man, you know, as a big bro, like that's changed me too. It's, it's almost given me like more permission the last few months just to really be like, dude, this is what I need to be doing as well. And so... I know that not only are you inspiring, you know, some of the people, you know, who might be in the dark or in the mud still, but you're also inspiring other leaders to continue to be, to be better leaders. And so, you know, thank you to you, bro, for all the, all the things that you provide and reflect back to me. And that's why I believe in you so much. And I'm so stoked not only to witness your, your mission, but to even have a little sliver, you know, of being partnered with you to really kind of launch what it is, this next step, because the Resilient Man Project was a, was a great start, but you wanted something even more than just a podcast. And so I know that you've had this calling on your heart to share your story on a bigger level. And so tell me about some of the things maybe coming up for the Resilient Man brand in 2023. Yeah, we, we're kicking it off. The, the, our first event will be virtual. Um, it's going to be a five-day challenge. 
So I'm going to bring in five amazing speakers that are going to talk about all sorts of things revolving around resilience. Um, but really, you know, it's just the catalyst to start to build a community. That's, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to build a community of men. And then uh, there'll be some live stuff coming on down, the, on down the line a little bit. But, man, we're just getting started. Like, this thing is just now taking shape. And uh, I'm so blessed and fortunate and, and humbled, you know, to be the vessel that gets to share this message. Yeah, dude, it's it's awesome. It's um, you know, I, a lot of times you'll shoot me a text of, you know, a message that you got, a screenshot of a message you got, or a text you got, and you're like, well, you know, look what these people are saying, and I'm like, yes, dude, like that that is the power in what of sharing your story, and it's been awesome to watch you continue to bloom and bloom more and more as you really start to settle in and accept that your mission from Christ is this, and that you are actually already doing it, and I think that's what's so powerful about what we're creating here today on this show and this podcast is it's like, yo. There's power in your story and, there, and turning your mess into a message that can inspire and empower other people. Not only does it change lives, but it, it has the ability to literally save other people's lives as well. And so I know that a lot of times we as men don't think that we have it figured out. And I know that you and me both as a leader are not up here going, yo, we got everything figured out, but we're going here going, you know what? We've always felt this way and now we want to do this. And we're going to be led by spirit. We're going to be led by God, led by Jesus to be able to take that next step. And hey, you know, we're not claiming we'll always get it right. But if you come in here in this community with us, like we are dedicated to do it together. And I don't know if there's any men out there who are like Jonathan and I, but if you've been trying to do it alone for a long time or maybe your whole entire life, now is an invitation and an opportunity. This is a sign from the universe, from God, whatever you want to call it, that you are not meant to be alone, that you're not meant to do this all alone and that it's through brotherhood. It's through that community that we find the resilience that we need to push through and to become the men we want to become. Thanks. Something that I've been talking a lot about, Jonathan, is, is amazing. I mean, my, my fiance, Kirsty, she's amazing. But and she she's compassionate and empathetic and she'll listen to me. But at the end of the day, she doesn't want to be my therapist and she doesn't want to be my mom. I have a therapist. I go to therapy, but even that's not enough. And it's like leaders impact leaders. Men need men. Brothers need brothers. And so for all of you men out there who've been trying to do it alone or maybe you're going back and forth with your spouse, we got to understand that as men, we're supposed to come together in a tribe. We're supposed to come together in a community. We're supposed to reflect back to each other. That's how it's always been for thousands of years. Our ancestors were doing the same exact thing. And so to see what you're doing with the resilient man project and now the resilient man challenge the five-day challenge coming up here uh, in february is really truly amazing and so i know that i'm going to be at the resilient man problem uh challenge i know that i'm i'm signed up for those five days i'm excited to be led by you i'm excited to learn more about what you got going on like you're the real deal and to see you be, become be, continue to become that is just such an honor and it's so humbling it's such a great reflection and so Again, to any of you men who are watching and listening to this, don't sit on the sidelines. Like, we're, we're, Jonathan is like, he's not like some big, huge, like, influencer where he doesn't really want to know you or really want to talk to you. Like, get to know this dude. Send him a message. Join the challenge. Become part of the community. I've been wanting to be part of a men's community for a long time, dude. And I just, I even tried to start one on my own. I just, it, it's just not, that's not my calling. So to know that you're here for me to let go of all that and to be able to focus on my business focus on my family and then have a community that I can become part of, man, like that's life changing, bro. And that's what you're providing for all of us men right now. Like how freaking cool. Man, I, I appreciate those words. I'm, I'm, like I said, man, I'm humbled and I'm, I'm excited and I, I'm curious to see where, where he takes this thing, you know, cause I, I just do my best to follow the breadcrumbs. I love that. I'm that, that's exactly how I feel too. I'm just curious. Like I'm curious to see what's next. 
like I finally like I finally like, like surrender. You know, you gotta surrender. And like for most of my life, I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean? But now I get it. I'm like, I'm just surrendering to whatever is next. I'm learning how to feel when when you know when the spirits talking to me, when the little tinglys come up, and I'm like, I'm learning yeah. to start to hone into that. And I just keep following whatever is supposed to come. I keep working on myself every day. I keep res res uh, surrounding myself with the right type of people, the right type of men. And little by little, it's it's revealed to me. And I'm sure you would agree. Like I wake up some mornings, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like this is so perfectly designed. It's got to be a joke. Like, and it's humbling. It's so, it's so overwhelming. And sometimes it moves me to tears. And so what a tremendous honor to have you here today, man. You know, before we finish up, just tell me where can we find the podcast? Where can we find the challenge? Like what's going on with that? Oh, the, all links are at resilientman.com if you just want to go there, but it's on all major platforms, Apple, Spotify, all those things. If you like video, it's on YouTube, uh, resilient man challenge live if you just want to go directly directly there and get signed up for the event but man you can find us it's pretty consistent all social media just resilient man project uh, I love TikTok, that. instagram facebook facebook's got the most traction and that's the most intimate kind of community so if you have facebook find us there i love that man and so i want to be respectful of your time today i want to respect everything you have going on but before we hop off is there any last things any last words that you'd love to share with the audience yeah, just like, like Marshall said earlier, you know, if, if you've been trying to do this thing alone, Lord knows I tried for many, many years to, to do it alone. And when I couldn't do it, I would numb myself and try to forget about it. Uh, it you know, like you need community. We can impact, we can change the world through brotherhood for sure. Let's go. Oh, man. Well, everybody, this has been uh, Mr. Jonathan New York of the Resilient Man Project, the soon to be Resilient Man Challenge and a little live event that might be coming up called the Resilient Man Revival, but we'll get to more of that later, man. It's been such a tremendous honor, Barbara. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, make sure you guys go subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a like, leave us a review. Get to know Jonathan. Bro, my brother in Christ, it's been an honor, man. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Cheers. Thank you so much for having brother. me. All right, brother. See you. All right. And there you have it, another episode of the Marshall Gillen Show, where we are bringing you messages of people who have turned their mess into their message. They're living vulnerably, powerfully, and leading the way through storytelling. Now, listen, bro, if you're a business owner, if you're a leader of some type, and you have a message or a story that you want to start getting to the world, and you want to create a movement out of it, and you want to create a legacy-building event, make sure you reach out to me at toppaidspeaker.com or comment, message, any of the platforms I'm on, and I'm ready to help you turn your mess into a message and a powerful life-saving movement. Until next time, you guys, I love you all, and we'll see you soon. Peace.